Hello and welcome to Mindset Musings Podcast, recorded from officially the most entrepreneurial city in the country, Portsmouth. Ben Miles, co-founder of one of the UK's largest music festivals, and Cy Gardner, co-founder of one of the hot 100 and fastest growing recruitment companies in Britain, search far and wide for what drives the most successful people from their chosen sectors, business, leadership, sports, and media. Now over to Ben and Simon for this week's show. For a person involved in sport professionally, representing a country is for most the pinnacle of their career. Chris Tremlett is from a long line of cricketers and having represented his home county of Hampshire and then neighbours Surrey, Chris was selected for England and his fast bowling used to great effect, taking 53 wickets for an average of 27 runs. Chris was a member of that Andy Flowers side that claimed the number one spot in the world rankings, as well as being used to devastating effect in the 2010 Boxing Day Ashes test at the MCG, with England bowling out Australia for just 98 runs. We spoke to Chris just a day or so before he flew out to meet up with Kevin Peterson, Jonathan Trott, Monty Panesar and the rest of his England legend teammates for their win in the Road Safety World Series in India. Chris talks to us about the mindset required to rise to the very top in the world rankings, the two sides to Ricky Ponting, and why you wouldn't always know which version of Shane Warne's pure genius was going to turn up. Chris Tremlett, thanks very much for joining us on the Mindset Musings podcast. Good morning, guys. Nice to uh, to be here. Morning, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Um, we'll we'll go straight into it, Chris. Um, why why cricket? Why did you choose cricket, and how did you get into it? Um, yeah, I mean, fairly, I guess, easy for me to answer that. Um, my grandfather played um, for Somerset for England. Uh, Dad played for Hampshire. Um, so I guess there's far back as I can remember um cricket was always played in the family or on the tv um or I was had a cricket bat or a ball in my hand as as far back as I can remember kind of three or four years old so yeah it was obviously introduced to me quite early as a kid and I think I had some kind of natural talent all all the way through my kind of childhood years and um I think like any kids you know when you're good at something you you enjoy it and I was always a little bit better than everyone else and at my school or my club and uh you know places I went to play cricket so naturally I enjoyed it and I enjoyed watching my dad play when I was younger so um so yeah that's that's kind of how cricket came about for me um from a younger age and it's just something I kind of kept progressing um each year when I was at school or secondary school or college um yeah and I think I got to um you know 13 14 and thought you know I want to do this as, as a living if I can so um uh, and I'm lucky enough to be sat here, you know, nearly 40 years old, having a have a having a pretty good career and being able to rep- represent my country. So yeah, looking back um, to when I was three or four years old, it's um, it is you know like a, a dream come true really that I got yeah. to achieve those things and experience so many cool things, traveling around the world, um, doing something that you love. Yeah, it was a, a fantastic career. Um, did it ever dawn on you 
uh, at the time how much of a massive achievement it was to go on and represent England uh, at national level. You can't represent your country. Um, yeah, I think so. I don't. I think. I don't think I ever kind of took it for granted. You know, like how how hard it was to to kind of get to that level. I remember playing at under nineteen level, and I think it was um, the coach at the time, Tim Boone. He kind of read out some stats. Um, you know, when when we were playing for under nineteens, that how many guys would go on to have like a successful you know county career, and how many of us would actually go on to play for England. And I think out of that group, it was Monty Panesar and Ian Bell. I, it definitely went on to go and play for England. So there's only three of us out of that probably 15 squad that went on to actually play internationally. Um, and, you know, some, from some age, you know, age groups, no one goes on to achieve play for England. So it is such a, a little pool of people that go on to do that. And, you know, I think my test number is 636, I think it is. Um, so, yeah, it just puts it into perspective when you look at it that way, that that many people have only ever played for England. So it is, it is a big achievement, I guess. You, d- you don't really think about it too much and you, you just take it in your stride. But I think when you look back and when you're retired and you you look at some of the things on TV that you've done or, you know, a glimpse of the ashes might come up, then it's like, oh, that was a pretty cool thing to have been involved. And even though I don't really <laughs> think about it or it's, you know, still a bit surreal in my eyes. But, um, but yeah, that it, is, um, it is a big achievement, especially as, you know, as well when you're, you know, four or five years old, looking up to these um, superstars, you're like, oh, I'd love to do that one day. And when you achieve it, um, yeah, I think you just, you, you try and take it in and think, yeah, I have done something quite special. And, you, you know, you can never have that taken away from you when you have played a test match or you have taken a wicket for England or scored a run for England. Like, um, that would always be in the in the record book. So, uh, so, yeah, I guess you just have to, you know, try and enjoy those moments when you can. It must be, uh, it must be a great feeling. Um I watched back on YouTube uh, earlier the Boxing Day test from the 2010-11 Ashes um, when England bowled out Australia for under 100. I think it was 98 in the end. You took four really vital wickets in that match. Um, Can you just explain to the people that are listening the context of an England side going to Australia um, and winning an Ashes series, how huge that is, and the the kind of camaraderie and spirit you felt in the squad uh, to be part of that. Yeah, I mean, I remember being out in Australia in 2002 with the National Academy and the Ashes were on then. Uh, and Australia were just such a dominant force sending and had literally no chance of winning the Ashes back then and down under. And I think even being in the academy and, you know, having glimpses of going to bowl in the nets at some of these blokes, you just felt like England never really believed that they would have a chance of beating Australia in Australia. Uh, and again, in 2006, I was kind of involved uh, in the uh, the A squad and uh, was around the squad and then I played in the one-day series. And the same sort of feeling was then. I think we lost 5-0 and it was just almost like impossible to beat these guys. Um, so to go back in 2010... Uh, granted with a stronger stronger team in Australia probably weren't quite as dominant as they were in 2006 and 2002 um, but you know we had a very strong side with a lot of momentum going into that series and um, yeah turning up at the MCG um, you know having been there on other occasions um, and being very daunted um, it was it was um, I guess my opportunity to try and go out there and not with fear and just try it. And obviously we're, the team are in a good position, but try and go out there with a, I'm just actually just, I'm just going to try and enjoy this and do the best I can. And, 
And I think the team really tried to um, just, you know, just create history um, that day. And it was a really good toss to win. It was a bit green. It was kind of English-like conditions. And uh, as bowling in Australia goes, it was as good as you could ask for um, with the temperature and the ball was nipping around. Um, and we just um, went out there and executed our plans as best as we could, really. It was just a dream dream day of cricket like you couldn't have asked for anything more bowling outside for 98 and being 100 off for none at the end of the day when the, when the sun came out it was literally the best day of cricket I've ever been involved in I think most guys in that in that dressing room would say the same like it was just the perfect day of cricket and the, the match was kind of lost on day one for Australia and we knew we were going to probably go on and win that test match so uh, yeah pretty awesome feeling to to go into the ground and play in front of that amount of people who listen to that roar, uh, but also very surreal when Alistair Cook and Andy Strauss were walking off. There was about 20,000 people in the ground because most of the Australians had gone home. So there was just something that we'd never really seen before. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it was just very special to, to, to be kind of so dominant in Australia, especially that year. Uh, and then we went back in 2013. Unfortunately, we got we lost again, what, four, four and a four, five nil again. So, um, yeah, it just shows how hard it is to win down under, and that tour was very special. Just, um, just on Australia, what was Ricky Ponting like as a as a kind of opponent? Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've had both sides of Ricky Ponting because I played with him at Surrey. So, uh, uh, I first kind of came across him in 2005 when I played my first one day series for England. Um, and I just remember the whole Australian team were just very aggressive. I went up to bat as a number nine or 10 batsman and yeah, just being sledged by everyone. And Ricky Ponting was at point just calling me and every name under the sun made, made, made me feel very uncomfortable um, for such a small bloke, just very intimidating, especially as I'm quite a big bloke. He just made me feel this small. So um, yeah, just, yeah. But also like he was another guy I looked up to as a kid, you know, legend of the game, like an incredible batsman just that kind of image of him just putting bowlers into the stands. Uh, it kind of fills you with a dread at times when running into bowl at him. And my first ball, I think I had bowled to him was at Perth and or second ball to him, he, he pulled me off a length and pulled me for four. I thought, oh, this guy is, is uh, hard to bowl to. But uh, yeah, he just gets stuck in um, to, to everyone. He's fully committed, like, like Shane Warne as well. Once they step over the line, all they want to do is win games of cricket and they'll do everything they can to win. Um, but at the same time, off the field, you know, played with him at Surrey. He's an absolute gentleman. When he's on your side, he is a is a great bloke to have on your side. He'll do anything for you. He'll throw balls at the youngsters. Um, he'll make cups of tea for for everyone else. Like it's it's quite surreal when you've got Ricky Ponting uh, making you, you the rest of the team cups of tea. It's it shouldn't be shouldn't be that way. But yeah, he's just a, he is just a normal gentleman at the end of the day. But um, a fierce guy to to play against. He was certainly one of the best. Definitely, definitely a natural leader and a thorn in England's side for, for many years. Um, on the note of uh, sledging, you mentioned, um, the Australians like to call it mental disintegration, I believe. Um, and it features, in, it features in a documentary, which is really good if anyone wants to check it out, called The Edge, uh, which is all around the England squad leading up to that Ashes win in Australia. Do you, you just mentioned there that Ricky Ponting got into your brain and made you feel really small do you think they were the masters of that and do you think at any point they took it too far or do you think it was just very clever gamesmanship yeah I mean thinking back I think um, 
you know, I think the older the older Australian side with you know Warren and Hayden and Ponting, I think they they were a bit cleverer in how they used to sledge people. And certainly Shane Warren, he was just had this way of it wasn't just like calling people every name under the sun. It was just very clever kind of, you know, he called, you know, like he called Ian Bell the Shermanator, which I know got under his skin. Like thing little things like this that he would just come up with these 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 hilarious little digs, but but he knew he'd get under people's skin. Um, it was just clever banter. Um, I think as years have gone by, the Australians have got worse at sledging. Actually, they've just kind of gone overly aggressive and just trying to call people names. And to me, that's not sledging, and people don't really take any notes of that. It's the little kind of clever digs, um, which have kind of gone out the game a little bit, I think, over the years. Um, but it's also tricky because such you know things are picked up on stunt, stunt microphones a lot more now. So players and players have to be a little bit more careful about how they go about things. Whereas you know 20, 30 years ago, you could just kind of do what you wanted and no one really cared or no one really heard on the on the microphone. So obviously you've got to be a little bit more careful now with children watching and you want to be a role model. Um, so it's a shame a little bit that part of that part of that. Um, part of that game has gone out the game in terms of sledging but um i still think if you know some of the guys out there or the cleverer guys wittier guys are still very good at it um but yeah i think as a team australia are still very good they get they get together and they know how to try and intimidate someone and i think as a especially as a lower order batsman um when you've got you know two or three fast bowlers like josh hazelwood's start coming to bowl at you when you've got that, that's bad enough. But when you've got a whole team of people around you as well, kind of uh, getting into you, it, do, it does affect you mentally and it makes it a lot harder. So, uh, yeah, Australia are good at it, but I think they were better at, better at it when uh, they had probably a slightly stronger side uh, and some, you know, slightly cleverer brains in, in Warren and Gilchrist and, you know, Hayden and Ponting and these sort of guys. Um, Chris, um, in the in the documentary The Edge, um, Stuart Broad says it's you know Test cricket in particular is ten percent technical and ninety percent mental. Do you do you think um, do you think sledging was so prevalent because it is such a kind of sport where you need to be so clear and, and, and so concentrated on what you're doing? No, hundred percent. It's um, like I said, you go into the a Test match, you you. You know, like you're doing county cricket, you you're not you you don't change when you go from county cricket to international cricket. It's just yeah. the, the level goes up, and the standard goes up, and the mental toughness goes up. Obviously, you're you're on TV, you're against um, better players, um, but yeah, it's it, it's just hard. You know, you're you're in it for five days. It's it's a game of patience, isn't it? Test cricket as a bowler and a batsman, it's who kind of breaks first, and um, yeah, it's it's just very tough from that point of view. You're having to run in and bowl. 20, 25 overs a day as a bowler, that's tough. Um, on your day, you know, like you said, at games like the MCG, when you can bowl a, when a side out for 100, that's great. It's, it seems easy. But the games where you're 160, 170 overs in the field as a bowler, that is very tough to just keep going and keep going. You've got to try and dig deep and find something uh, from within sometimes to keep going on days like that. And um, and guys like Stuart Vaughan and Jimmy Anson have been doing this a lot longer than I have and still playing now. Like Jimmy is, I think he's half a year or a year younger than me. Um, and I've been retired nearly six years. It's absolutely incredible that his his toughness is still able to, you know, not just physically, but mentally, just be able to keep going the way he is. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, it is it is a tough game. Um, you know, if you're a batsman, for example, as well, if you're out of form and you've scored 
a run of low scores uh, mentally that again is very tough to come out of that to try and get that hundred you're searching for and you've got commentators kind of sledging you and getting into you it, it's it's a tough game but that is um, international sport at the end of the day I was going to ask you actually Chris about the how do you deal with the pressure of expectation from fans and pundits uh, ex-professionals because you know you know the likes of NASA Hussein uh, Michael Vaughan they like to be fairly outspoken and strong in their views do you tune into that when you're during your playing career or do you try and blank that sort of stuff out yeah I mean sometimes it's it's tough um not to listen to that sort of stuff because you will watch the highlights naturally when you get back to your uh, hotel things like that but I think I think um it is it is tough and I think you know some of the more experienced players you know they'll, they'll turn off their their twitter they'll, they'll turn off the, the online news and stuff during the test match obviously you'll you'll get fag ends of this stuff when you know your mates tell you stuff um but yeah I think like I said the best players and, and when you're in that kind of bubble of your own team uh, you try not to kind of think about what what the what the media are saying too much. Um, you're just trying to you know, think of yourself, think of the team, of what's going on, because you know people are going to be talking, um, you know, outside of of your kind of bubble. Um, and you just got yeah, you just got to get on with it. And, and like I said, it's very different when you're in in a side or you know in a squad or a tour, as opposed to me sat here now watching it on TV. It's very different. You kind of tune in more to what commentators are saying, but it's it's all it is very very different when you're on the inside, um, and you just you know you're not, you know you're there behind the scenes seeing what's going on, how people are feeling, you know, it's sort of not all smooth sailing for everyone mentally, physically, um, and you know, and all the other little things that people don't see. You know, guys being you know injured, have niggles, having injections behind the scenes, having physio doctor appointments all the time. They're the things that people don't see. You know, people might have had a fight with their wife or their girlfriend the night before a test match. These are all the little things that um, us sat on the safe we don't see. Uh, but obviously, when you're in that kind of situation in the team, um, all those little things can can add up and make it harder at times. But that that's, you know, at the end of the day, sportsmen are still human beings and, and have off-the-field issues. Um, but when they step on the field, it's just, you know, trying to to forget all those things and 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 do the best you can as, as an individual and as a team. That's excellent insight um, to to what goes on behind the scenes. Do you uh, what did you have any superstitions or what was your <clears throat> match preparation like? Uh, getting yourself in the zone, as it were, for a game. But yeah, for me, it was just trying to be as as relaxed as as possible, really. Um, and I think the the older I got, um, I learned how to do that um, better. Um, I think as a youngster, I was probably a little bit more nervous and used to think about the negatives a bit more than the positives. But I, I think after th- three or four years of county cricket, I kind of really started to believe that I was good enough to be there. Um, and I went in with a different mindset as opposed to, you know, what what's going to go right rather than what could, could go wrong. Um, and I think, I think everyone has that at some point in their career. It's getting to that point in your career where you really feel like you belong Along there, international, you know, whether it's county cricket or international cricket, um, but yeah, typically, uh, you know, the, the, the last 13, 12 years of my career, when I was certainly confident, with, you know, within with my ability, it was just trying to be as relaxed as I could, um, knowing my kind of pre-match routine, little things I would have to do to be ready to step on the pitch. You know, there'd be certain things with the physio that I'd have to have. You know, there'd be certain painkillers. A lot of the time, I'd be making sure I've got in my body before I, you know, 
start to bowl, you know, there are another things that people don't really see, but, you know, be waking up and make sure I've taken my pills at the right time, you know, had my body strapped up at the right time, uh, making sure I've warm up um, and stretch before I get, get, get on the field half an hour before, then, I, then another little stretch before I go and bowl again. Um, and then obviously when I was batting, I'd probably have a little more superstitions. I can't remember, but, you know, everyone does it but you know the way you put on your pads and your shoes and your box and the way things feel um that's just little individual um superstitions that everyone has but um but mentally it was just trying to be as as relaxed as i could and um just just try and go out there and and perform and do and do my best really um but yeah but the preparation is always like anything in life really preparation is key if you're not prepared you're probably going to fail so um it is very important that you um, whatever works for you, you know, in preparing for something big like a like a cricket match or whatever, um, then it's just trying to go through that routine every time. And for me, um, you know, like my my gym routines now is if I'm prepared and know what I'm going to do, um, I'll, I'll get better results because I know I'm prepared rather than just going in there willy nilly um, and just hoping for the best. So, Chris, most people would have a defining moment in their career, which is their lowest point which maybe sets them on a trajectory to set them on an upward curve and onto success. Have you got a defining moment in your career, your lowest point? Uh, yeah, I'd say there's probably a couple um, from memory. I'd say 2000 and 2005, I was involved in the, the Ashes um, squad, but I wasn't, I wasn't picked in the team. Um, later that year, I had to then go and have um, quite a nasty surgery on my my hamstring tendon which put me out for a good kind of nine months and I, I wasn't able to go on that Pakistan tour with England that year so that was um you know kind of having a taste of um things in 2005 which was probably you know the biggest year ever in cricket certainly I can remember and then having that kind of taken away was was very disappointing but luckily for me I came back in in 2007 and played uh, for England in test cricket that's when I made my debut um, but then I had another, uh, I guess, two or three years out of the side where I kind of felt a little bit lost. Um, I felt like I deserved to be there. Uh, I played three test matches during and done done pretty well, taking, I know, 13, 14 wickets in a series against India. But then the likes of Steve Harmison, Hoggard came back into the side, Stuart Board made his debut. Um, then I had another couple more injuries and I just felt like I was kind of uh, wasting away a little bit in counter cricket I felt like I was still good enough to be um, with England but you know for, for, for different reasons and circumstances like you know and timing of tours injuries it just didn't work it didn't work and then I guess it came about where um, I finally made the decision to leave Hampshire which was which was a very tough decision for me because uh, it was a club I always played for as a kid and grew up and always wanted to play and thought I'd always stay there um, I had to make a really tough decision whether to stay loyal to Hampshire and you know stay in the in the city that I'd always kind of uh, you know lived in and grown up uh, and move move to London I guess to chase my England dream again and um, you know I took that decision um, not lightly but at the same time I thought if I was ever gonna um, get back into the England side um, and especially from the way I was feeling just 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 low we're not really going anywhere I remember we won the CNG trophy in 2009 it was a great occasion and um, a fantastic day and I, and I bowled well and the team played well but there was just something missing deep down that I 
you know, wanted to fulfill. And that was just back, getting back in England. So that's what I really wanted. So, you know, from the outside, everything seemed probably good. But deep down, I was probably struggling because I just wanted to play for England again. Um, so, yeah, that was probably like the defining moment. It was was moving uh, clubs and going to Surrey. And it was tough at times, you know, playing for a new club and making new, new friends and teammates. Um, but ultimately, it got me back to where I wanted to be. And uh, and then, like I said, it, I wouldn't have experienced those times in Australia and um, getting back in England set up and things like that if I hadn't have done that. So, um, yeah, for me, certainly it was, the, it was the right decision. But at the time, it was there was a couple of, you know, low points or low years um you know at Hampshire not really feel like I was going anywhere and not really enjoying my cricket so um but I think at, at some point every every player over 15 20 year um you know career if they were lucky to kind of uh, achieve that they're going to have some some low moments in there as well as the as the good ones yeah of course I think um and it proved to turn out a good decision in the end you went on to star in that Ashes series that we mentioned earlier just on that note did you do you do any kind of visualization of what you wanted to achieve that squad going and winning the ashes um i saw recently a a former canadian downhill skier used to um keep a photocopy of a gold medal in his pocket um and carry it around with him for six months prior to a winter olympics so every time he put his hand in his pocket it reminded him what the goal was uh, and why he was doing what he was doing. Did you have any anything like that when you went into chasing that Ashes in 10-11? In um, yeah, I mean, I guess not specific to the Ashes, but, but those years I've just kind of spoken about when, um, you know, I was out of the side of England and I was I remember watching like Graham Onions bowling on the TV, Saj Mahmood bowling on the TV, uh, Tim Bresden bowling on the TV, uh, and a lot of the time I would be in the gym rehabbing or training. And a lot of the time these guys would be bowling on the TV. And I just remember being motivated, whether it be in the gym or whatever, my training, just to take that as motivation and think that I, I should be there. I, I, I believe that I'm better than those guys. I should be there. Um, so that was definitely one one thing I remember, you know, and even if I was, I had a little setup at home as well. If I was ever training, I and the cricket was on, I'd have it on as motivation that I want to be back there, I should be there. That was certainly um, something that pushed me. Um, was seeing those guys on the TV um, and like I said, if I was rehabbing or um, you know doing my training in the gym, I would always try and push myself a little bit harder um, to try and get back there. And I think mentally, for me, I if I if I felt like I was putting in the work and, and giving it my all, I felt like, you know, sat here today or... Other times, if I know that I put in the hard work and tried my best, even if I didn't get back there, I wouldn't have those regrets that I didn't I didn't do that. Because um, yeah. there, there's a few times in anyone's career when you know you're kind of cruising a little bit and you can get away with it. Um, but, you know, if you do get injured or you don't perform, you get found out eventually and you, you have to look yourself in the mirror and go, I, d- I didn't quite do those things. I didn't quite put in the hard work. Um, so something that I always try to do, whether I spent too much time in the gym or spent bowled to me balls in the nets it was for me mentally sometimes I just had to do that because um I didn't want to have those regrets that I didn't put in the work um, and I think a lot of players they work like that they, they want to feel like they're um they're putting in the work and they they truly believe that they've done everything to get there um some guys will cruise some guys will get away with it but I think if you do that you know long enough it will catch up with you and 
especially in your kind of later years when you get a bit older it does it does become a lot harder uh, physically and mentally and and that's why I, you know again mentioned earlier like the likes of Jimmy Anderson he's been you know doing these things for 20 years and he's still at the top so it just shows that his his kind of routine or whatever he does to to motivate himself to keep going uh, it's working so I think everyone has their own way of doing it um, but for me for that ashes I knew it was coming about and I knew it would be my last chance really to go to Australia um, so for me it was it was just um, every time I went out to play for Surrey um, and it was my first year at Surrey I just I just wanted to, to put everything into it I wanted to bowl as quick as I could I wanted to create a new perception of myself because I had this perception at Hampshire probably over a 10-year period that you know, I was I was a bit laid back and and whatnot. I just wanted to try and create a slightly different perception of myself going somewhere else. And I think when you move counties, you can kind of do that because teammates see you in a new way. Whereas obviously my old teammates saw me in, a, in, an, in an old way. Um, it was just going out of the slightly different attitude and a little bit more of a selfish attitude that I'm going to try and be someone else and just try and prove people wrong. Um, and that's and so that year in 2010 bowling for Surrey, it was just like all or nothing, just give everything every game and try and keep taking wickets or scoring runs or whatever and just try and get back into that into that uh into that squad and, and lucky I had a great season and I and it was probably my only season where I didn't have one injury um and it, yeah the, the stars kind of aligned that I was able to get back and get picked for that squad Chris just just on the hard work piece there if you if you could pick one quality in a, in a teammate either hard work or talent in a, in a sport setting, which which one would you choose? Um, yeah, I, I I mean it's kind of cliche, but I do think talent does only get you so far. I think you do have to have the talent to get there. I think if you don't you don't have any talent, um, you know, I don't think just pure hard work is going to get you there. I think you have to have some sort of talent. You know, guys like Alistair Cook say I don't have any talent, and I've worked hard. But he he does have talent um, clearly, um, but there are guys that do that you know naturally you'd say aren't as talented as others but um you know they, they work their nuts off and they do whatever they can day in day out to get better uh, and and some guys you know they they, they can get away with it but uh, and it's sometimes the guys that have the talent and they they might not appear to be putting in the hard work but behind the scenes they really are i mean kevin peterson for me is one like everyone thought that this you know he had, he had this amazing talent but people thought, you know, he just because of the way he kind of cruised around the nets and was pretty laid back, and people just thought, oh, he's he just do what he want, turn up. But behind the scenes, he was training as hard as anyone. He'd be in, you know, running, running, swimming, whatever it was. Like he'd train his his butt off. Um, and behind the scenes, he'd be hitting extra balls. You know, the things that people didn't see, um, he'd be working hard. But yeah, I think to answer your question, ultimately, I think. You do need to have some sort of talent to to, to begin with, but um, the, the best guys they do work. You know, not always the hardest, but they will still work really hard. So, but I think um, if you want longevity in any kind of sport or uh, job or whatever, like you're always going to have to put in the, the hard work, and you have to you know keep at it and keep doing the keep doing the right things right because um, you know again, like they will catch up with you if you if you if you take your foot off the gas and, you know, there's, there's been plenty of players I've seen start their careers really strong and they've got to 25, 26 and they thought, you know, this is easy. Start drinking a, you know, too much or they take, take the foot off their training and they start getting injured and they, they wonder why they're kind of not where they were before. And 
sometimes if you get out of those good habits that they're hard to get back so um so yeah i think it's it's just keeping the good habits working hard uh and i think if you had that kind of mindset you, you give yourself um the best chance of of doing well and i think mentally um it puts you in a good place knowing that you've put in the work especially when you you know when you when you sit back now and you you've retired and your time is gone um you know I, i'm i don't i don't sit here with any regrets and i look at you know england and youngsters on the tv and i want them to do well i don't sit here kind of sour face going oh i should have done that and i should have done that because you know i know there's some cricketers that that, that have that that kind of regret that they didn't uh perhaps fulfill their potential and whatnot so um so yeah i i, I sit here um obviously you know at times i made a few mistakes but i learned from them and um i sit back here with no regrets and i'm happy with the the way my kind of career turned out even though if i didn't have as many injuries and whatnot i probably could have played a bit more but it's just the way it kind of panned out um and i just accept it for what it is really there's some valuable points you make there that don't just relate to elite sport i think they relate to life in general about not taking your foot off the gas yeah 100 percent. i think um that's one thing i've learned kind of going into like more of the business world um outside of cricket like there are so many things that that line up and so many things you learn in sport with um leadership and you know working as a team all these sort of things um you know communication breakdowns all these things you kind of see with um different teams i've been involved in um a lot of it transfers to to the real world it takes a bit of adjusting because you're kind of used to playing in a sports um a sports for you know mindset and um you are in this kind of cricket bubble where you see the same people year in year out um but there's certainly so many things that i've transferred um from cricket over into into real real life um and most cricketers they fear going into the real world after cricket um but i think once you get out there and you realize a lot of the things you do learn as a cricketer um you, you know generally a lot of guys will be stood in quite you know fairly good stead once they do step out of the cricket arena into the real world that's a good point you make as is the next question i was going to come on to about preparing for retirement um did you know you you suffered with injuries which i know was a bit of a blight on you you on your cricket career did you know a way out before you actually retired that that the end was coming and were you already preparing for life after cricket uh i think i had like a rough idea of a few things i wanted to do um there wasn't like i'm definitely gonna i'm definitely gonna do this when i retire i wasn't doing like exams and um setting up a job you know while playing cricket you know some guys are that kind of proactive and i take my hat off to guys that are that proactive but um i guess it's sometimes hard especially when you're playing for england and things like that and you have injuries um that takes enough of your time and mentally you're giving everything you can to try and um you know be the best you can um but i think yeah probably probably 33 so 32 33 i, I probably started to think about, about it a little bit more um I was having a few more problems with my body i was on one year contracts at surrey um and you know it was just it was just there's a bit more there's actually a bit more pressure in some regards because you're trying to pay your mortgage and things like that but and you know i've always had that comfort of a a three-year contract when I was younger, but um, there was a bit more pressure towards the end of my career. I mean, I think the last four or five years I had one-year contracts. So, you know, my body was, you know, I had to look after it as best I could. And, and I also needed a little bit of luck where I was hoping I wasn't going to get injured. But um, yeah, I think in the, in the back of my mind, I always like had a few ideas of what I'd like to do. Um, I'd always had um, an interest in property throughout my career. And as I said, I had a few injuries and uh, some winters I'd 
um, do up a couple of little rundown flats and things like that uh, as a kind of a hobby. And um, property was something I always kind of understood and enjoyed doing, um, along with a few other friends that um, that I knew that liked that kind of that sort of thing. So, um, but then I met someone at Surrey called John, Tom Jewell, who's one of the younger players. Um, uh, and it was a year year before I retired. He he kind of said, "I'm going to set up." Um, uh, a property company um and we kind of saw kind of eye to eye to there and um and then when i he retired the year before me but in 2015 i kind of went into kind of partnership a little bit with him and and what we do now is we kind of uh, we search um investments for uh to, for investors and look after their portfolios so uh, uh yeah so if you've asked me that kind of te- you know t- you know 10 years ago would i be thinking that's what i was going to be doing probably not but um, it's kind of it's kind of like um, you know just naturally gone that way. I, I actually retired in September in in 2015, and and in October, November, I had a I had a suit on, and I was kind of you know walking around, meeting new people, and going to networking events. And I guess I just tried to kind of forget about cricket, even though it was quite tough. It was still in the back of my mind, um, but at the same time, it was a bit of a weight off my shoulders that I didn't have to keep bowling and wasn't worried about injury anymore. Um, but I thought the best way was to just to kind of just get stuck into uh, this new new world that I'm going to go into. Think what am I going to do now? It's more just like go with the flow and uh, and try and try and make something work of an idea that that we had. And you know, kind of five six years later, we're we're still going, and I'm still enjoying it. And um, our business has come a long way um, over the last five or six years. Um, it's taken a lot of work and a lot of you know growing and speaking to a lot of people, meeting a lot of people um but it's but it's been enjoyable along the way and um it, and it hasn't made me miss cricket i've kind of you know i've enjoyed the kind of natural process of um starting something new and seeing it grow uh, and on and, in, and on in the other hand my hobby is kind of still kind of staying fairly fit and i like to lift weights and that sort of thing but that that kind of mentally keeps me sane and i think that still keeps my kind of um adrenaline going from the kind of uh cricket sports side of things uh, I just I like that kind of challenge still with something in the gym or uh, a competitive against myself. I guess that's what I like. So I I just try to kind of beat myself in the gym each 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 week or each year or whatever. Like it's just having something to keep my my brain ticking over outside of work work related things. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, to be fair, you just you just answered the question I was going to ask there, Chris. Um, obviously, the weightlifting, um, you know, it's not just from from some of the photos we've seen online. It's not just picking up the odd weight there. Um, you've seemed to have really gone into it. Um, so, is it? I mean, you know, was that a natural progression for you, or, or you know, as you said, it was just trying to compete against yourself? Yeah, I think I think as a cricketer, like I always quite liked um, lifting weights and. Um, my nickname was Twiggy and I used, you know, I was, I was like tall and skinny cricketer. Um, but I always wanted to be a bit bigger. Um, but uh, playing cricket, uh, there's kind of like a limit, especially as a bowler, there's kind of a limit you can kind of get to. So, um, you know, and, and even that I was always sometimes pushing the boundaries of how big you should be as a bowler, you know, and I had physios and training saying, oh, you're probably getting a little bit too big and whatnot. So there's always kind of a limit you kind of had to, I guess, stay at. And I thought when I retired, you know, I don't have to be running around anymore. I don't have to be bowling anymore. So um, I'll just kind of start lifting weights a little bit more seriously and kind of see see where I can kind of get to it, um, really. And it's just become a bit of a hobby. Um, it's not just about picking up as the heaviest weight as possible and trying to lift as much as possible. It's it's kind of like a combination of, um, you know, how can I change my body? So, you know, 
like there's different training in terms of bodybuilding, you know, powerlifting. I've I've kind of tried different different things, and it's more just like a bit of fun at the same time. But at the same time, I want to look after myself. Um, like I said, I've enjoyed the challenge of get trying to get stronger every year, especially as I kind of keep getting older every year. It becomes a lot harder. Um, you know, I've got a young boy who's two. I've got another one on the way. So again, it makes it a little That's bit harder when you've got kids. Um, to, to keep fit but at the same time it makes it a lot easier I think if you you know for me if I'm staying fitter you know chasing them around the house and picking up things all the time it makes it makes it a little bit easier but um yeah I just for me it's just like we've got a you know since lockdown and stuff we've created a little gym in the garage here um it's just nice to have that hour a day or hour and a half whatever if I've got the time uh, just to go in there and you know have my set goals whatever it is they change all the time um just just to have something to focus on just to push myself um whether it to be look better to look better to get stronger to get fitter um uh you know my my, my missus is very into her fitness as well so we kind of push each other there it's quite nice to have that um but yeah but ultimately it's just trying to just have uh, you know something outside of work and something mentally just to keep me going and i you know and i think people that love fitness um it's like it's like an addiction that you kind of have to train you know most of the time and if you don't train you don't you don't feel very good and that's certainly something I've always kind of had even with cricket even though my training was different I would like to just do something every day feel like I'm moving otherwise it would just make me feel a little bit depressed so uh so yeah a lot of it is just a mental thing and it just makes me feel good and I think it's you know releasing those endorphins and adrenaline um you know getting in the gym and just doing something uh, and there are days where I don't want to go in there but um, I make myself go in there and like and when I come out I always feel better so um, it's just um, and certainly over these lockdowns and stuff um, it's certainly um, been a kind of godsend having that in the garage to, to go in there and, and and have something to work on. Yeah I think it's it's so important to keep your mind in check however you go about it whether it's exercising or yeah. reading or or any any kind of exercises like that um, it, it's very important to keep your keep your mental mental strength yeah. Um, we're nearly out of time so one final question who were your idols in cricket who did you look up to um so from a younger age I'd say it would have been my dad from you know from a younger age I think the older I got you know no one wants to kind of listen to their dad or they kind of pretend that they don't you know that they don't want a hero to you know the dad to be the hero but yeah I think as a young age you know I just wanted to be like my dad and play cricket uh, and then I think when I started to understand cricket a little bit more um Glenn McGraw was like you know for me he was like the pinnacle of being a fast bowler and Kirtley Ambrose loved watching those because I was quite tall obviously as well there were two tall bowlers who just like hit a line in length didn't go for any runs um you know and, and back in you know it's a bit different but back, back when I was growing up or we were growing up chess cricket was the kind of the ultimate it's a little bit different now it's a bit strange kind of you know seeing how cricket has evolved but you know just hitting a length and not going for any runs and you know, just being able to, you know, nick people off um, was just something I loved watching. And Glen McGraw and Ambrose were, for, were the kings of that for me. Um, and then, like, guys like Ricky Ponting, um, you know, T- Tendulkar, watching these guys when I was a bit younger. Um, they they were kind of, cut, yeah, kind of my idols. And, and Shane Warne was always someone, you know, just loved the way he kind of went about things. And, you know, he, he didn't do things to the book. And obviously, he was a bit controversial the way he went about things, uh, but always you know, loved watching him on TV. And then I got to play with him at Hampshire, you know, for three or four years, which was very surreal. Um, but at the same time, I learned so much off him and I don't think I would have got to where I, where I am today without 
his kind of knowledge and him pushing me to 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 believe how good I could have been. Um, so those you know, those first three years that I spoke about when um, my confidence probably wasn't quite there, he certainly helped me believe that I could get to where I wanted to get to because I don't think it was really there within my first couple of years of, of playing for Hampshire. So, um, so yeah, I learned a lot of you know guys like that and. Yeah, so to, to watch someone from a young age like Shane Warne, you know, with confidence and seeing how he goes about things and then and then kind of having him in your dressing room, kind of telling you how he goes about things and how, you know, I should go about things, it was pretty special. And, uh, you know, I can't speak about him highly enough because, uh, you know, I wouldn't have, have, I don't think I've achieved what I did without, without someone like that supporting me. Final question, two parts. Who's the best player you've ever played against and who's the best player you've ever played with? Um, so yeah, again, I'd probably say Warren. I think just an absolute, absolute genius. Um, you know, and just the way he went about things. I mean, he lived a rock and roll lifestyle on and off the field. Like unbelievable how he used to, you know, he turn up half half cut sometimes, and he'd still go out and get six, seven wickets. Um, and he, you know, he wouldn't have any sleep because he'd be yeah you know, up all night doing whatnot. Um, but he, as soon as he as soon as he stepped over the line, he was on it. You know, he'd be be, be more more on it more on it than everyone else. Even if he hadn't had any sleep, or if he was you know still pissed from the night before, he's just unbelievable. Like and how he just had the energy all the time. Just I don't know how he did it, um, and that's why he was so good. And you know, and that's why he went on to take seven hundred odd Test wickets. Um, yeah, and I said say Ricky Ponting. Just you know, just you know, someone that I always looked up to uh, as a youngster. Um, just thought he was a phenomenal player watching him on the TV growing up. Uh, and then, you know, I only bowled against him a couple of times uh, from international level, but, you know, um, just just felt intimidated running into bowl. If I got my length slightly wrong, I just felt like he was going to pull and hit me into the stands. Um, as I briefly touched on earlier, I think it was my third, second or third ball to him at Perth that I had bowled to him. He pulled me off my length. And I thought, God, this is, this is, this is tough. Um, but yeah, just I think I think for, for me, Ricky Ponting, you know, just just phenomenal career. You know, some people will say he might have played a little bit bit too long, and that's why his record probably dropped a little bit towards the end. But at the same time, he was doing it for the good of Australian cricket as well because they were kind of a, a young rebuilding side. Um, so you're, Ricky Ponting in his best years, I, I think he was a, a fantastic player, not just the the runs he scored, but the, the catches he took, and and I guess the changes. Uh, and and, inf- and influences he had on on certain sides. Um, yeah, I'd say he was probably like the best player I, I played against. Good stuff, Chris. Thanks ever so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you, Chris. No worries Cheers. at all. Yeah, it's been really good fun. See you soon. Cheers, Chris. Cheers, guys. Cricket is—it's not a non-physical sport, is it? It's—it's—it takes its huge toll on the body, especially medium, fast-paced bowler. Um, you know, you are—it. You know, if you're bowling stuff at ninety miles an hour, it's going to take a huge—you know—a huge impact on your body, which has obviously pretty much resulted in why he's had to why he's had to stop. I think that's um, the misconception a lot of people have of cricket, as you rightly pointed out, is that it's. Not much running around when it is really, but they see people sort of stood around in the field. It's short, sharp bursts. Yeah. But 
that's where the mental agility comes into it for me as yeah. well because it's over five days a test match is over five days yeah. very long and there's so many facets to a game of cricket um but uh, mentally but as you quite rightly say the physical demands of, of a fast bowler that you know the stress going through the body of the knee uh, the foot landing on the pitch and like yeah. the arm coming over to get that ball to go 90 miles an hour down to the batsman um, it, it's huge and wicketkeeper behind is diving left right and center for six seven hours a day yeah um, yes yeah, physical demands are, are huge and I think that's why someone like Chris who uh, had some injuries throughout his career and, and probably career ended two or three years earlier than he would have liked mm. uh, it's just luck of the drawn how your body holds up I suppose yeah yeah no definitely um, it, it, it's also um, you know completely understandable and that how you know if, if you if you watch that um documentary the edge as you, as you mentioned in the interview there i think it was jonathan trot and he said concentration is the absence of a relevant thought now cricket from the outsider looking in is is and you know i'm an outsider i'm not a huge cricket fan i did watch it when i was a kid a bit uh, before it obviously then went on sky and channel four couldn't play it anymore um but it, it's almost the perfect team sport in a way because it's because it's it's split between a sort of solo game if you like which is your you know standing on the standing on the boundary you know taking flack from the fans waiting for that ball to come near you obviously fielding you know you then you then you know bowling's an individual thing batting's an individual thing although you run as a pair so for him to take that mindset um, from complete concentration and obviously take it into the business world it's it's, it's much more transferable than, than quite a lot of other sports, I'd say. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think another question which we didn't get around to asking, Chris, but it's worth noting is the... I kind of touched on it with the retirement question, but where there is so much pressure on you mentally, there are there have been a lot of cricketers that have suffered, um, notably Jonathan Trott, um, yeah. had to withdraw and come home from England squad for suffering with mental mental problems with depression and such like Marcus Triscothic, another very very successful England batsman he came home from a from a tour once suffering just mentally just tired exhaustion um and really unfortunately if you compare the rates amongst other sports cricket um has a, a unusually high suicide rate right. um which is uh you know, astonishing to think of, really, um, uh, and very sad at the same time. I, I don't know why that is. I, you know, I'll have to go away and look up the the ins and outs of the reports. But um, it's it's definitely a very challenging game, uh, and it does mentally weigh. But I think being a, a, a professional sports person or um, anyone that's in the public eye, I've, there's a huge amount of pressure on you. Uh, I imagine anyway, to, to perform and come up with results and you've got to always be be on your A game. And I think sometimes that pressure just becomes too much for people. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you've only got to compare it to just, you know, let's say in inverted commas, you know, normal life. You know, if you've got two young kids and, you you know, you've, you've, you've got a business or you've got parents to look after now, you know, is a, if, if, if a, you know, cricket, you know, people retire in their sort of late thirties. If you, if you, you know, I'm in my late thirties now and it's that sort of age just, you know, and I'm not a sportsman, but it's that sort of age where, 
you know, your, your kids look up to you, you know, your parents look, look down to you for support, um, you know, your colleagues look across to you for support, um, you know, family members, extended family members, it seems to be that sort of decade where everyone's looking at you for the answer. Um, and then to chuck in, you know, a tour of Australia um, away from the family or, 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 you know, let's say a sprinter, you know, the Olympics, you know, to chuck, you know, that, those, those pressures don't go away. They're, they're still family men and women, aren't they? Sports women. And, so, and then to chuck all that on top and then televise it, you know, they're, they're, no wonder there's issues, you yeah. know, and, and maybe that needs to be looked at further, definitely. I always, I always think that's a good point you make about athletics. I always think for take a sprinter is probably the, the best example. The amount of training and sacrifice and dedication these guys and girls go through. Uh, and what's, what's a 100-meter sprint? Less than 10 seconds. You yeah. get that wrong or something goes wrong or your preparation's not right or something throws you off course, like Chris spoke about it, uh, stuff that we don't see, maybe a disagreement with a family member or you know something happening in your personal life which people which doesn't come across to us as the viewers mm. and that just throws four years of hard work yeah. away and that that pressure to deal with is just well monumental yeah no totally i mean if you you know if you if you compare the 100 meter sprint to uh, you know five day cricket so that's that's two completely different time scales isn't it um and and but with um, the same with the same pressure with the same yeah totally totally agree that's it for another mindset musings podcast thank you for listening we really do appreciate our listeners and the feedback that we receive we hope you have either been entertained or gained something of value from the show if you have can we please ask you to leave us a five-star itunes review or a review wherever you feel is relevant Please feel free to follow us on Instagram at mindset.musings. Our personal Insta handles are included in the bio. Drop us a DM. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time.